and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, the ancient world, and literally whatever idea or book or piece of art we want to bring to this podcast. My name is Thomas Magby. I am joined, as always, by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg. That's me. And Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hello. And, I, you know, I've really appreciated some of the five-star reviews that we've gotten from listeners recently. <laughs> it's just really um, confirmed to me that truly classical stuff you should know is the best of all possible podcasts. <laughs> just, like, if you the platonic ideal of podcast. It's just, it's the best of all possible podcasts in the best of all possible worlds. Isn't that right, AJ? Yeah, everything is, I mean, it, it lines up right right alongside my podcast a few, or my, my episode a, few, a little while ago about everything being good. Everything. everything is literally good. There is no evil. There's no evil. Evil does not exist. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's all, it's all, um, it's all looking up, boys. Yeah. By a podcast a little while ago, you mean the one you did like three and a half years ago? That's actually a good point. It's been a long time. No, the one on... Uh, Augustine? No, the, the one called Saul Good. That was like a couple months ago. Oh my gosh, I'm going to look this up. I think it's been probably months. I think it's like 2018 there, friend. I, I protest. <laughs> I can't even find it. Hold on. Well, Google is failing me. I'll keep looking this up. You, okay. You, want to talk you can let us know. I'm going to guess. I'm going to say it's within the last year. Yeah. It's okay. within the last year. It's probably within the last six months. It's almost literally 40 episodes ago. It's 147. And this episode we're currently recording is 189. Huh. Oh, yeah. So, so that's uh, less than a year. Yeah. It's depending on how many breaks we've taken. It's probably about a year. About right. a year. Yeah. Oh man, it felt. <laughs> I know. We've been doing this for a long time. It feels like four months ago. 188 of these. I mean, so that means we've been doing this at least three years. Longer than that. I think our first one, the first ones you all did, I think was 2017, end of 2017. So I think it's five years. How many episodes until we get the Congressional Medal of Freedom? Like, how's that happen? <laughs> <laughs> quite a few more. We're not. We're not quite there. Getting close to a million. I'll start sending some though. letters to my congressman. I'll <laughs> yeah, see what I can do about that, Graham. Yeah. If you're looking for a medal, let's see. What I don't know if happen. I'm allowed to get them. Oh, that's a good oh point. you're Canadian. Yeah, you could get like the hooray for foreigners medal. Yeah, is, is that one? Of, is do that we have thing? one of those? Uh, wait, we should. Also, I'll write my congressman. There's got to be something <laughs> where like like a Canadian saves an American in battle, uh-huh. and you can give the Canadian a medal. We can just like cut one out of paper for you. Is that what you want? If you want to send me a medal, email email the guys. The guys. This is good. All right, so as Thomas so happily hinted, today we are talking about the best of all possible worlds. So I, for this episode of the podcast, I was originally intending to do uh, Confucius. I started reading Confucius, and it turned out his his writings was were very similar to the previous like three podcasts I had done, where I did the Tao in one, and then I had also done Seneca, and they're very... They're, they're full of aphorisms, right? To do this, moral man, you need to do this. You need right. to respect your family, you need to do such and such, and they... While they make for an okay episode now and again, it's hard to string three or four of those in a row. So then I found another book called the the most revered book in Chinese history. That's, I think, their oldest one, and it's right. It was written right about the time of Gilgamesh. That's what's called the most revered oh, book. Cool. Yeah, it was it was legendarily compiled and edited by Confucius himself, hmm. and it's a historical right. document and it's really cool. And there's some interesting stuff in there, but. Same thing. It's it. well, it's not so many aphorisms. It's little tiny short snippets about kings, and right. they all have the same moral, right? Treat the people right. Be a respectable person. If you want to keep the mandate of heaven to rule, so I, I absolutely recommend you guys go read them, especially for the rare recorded speech where a guy's like, "Look, I'm here to save these people. They're in dire need." They've clearly given me no choice. The heavens frown upon them. So, you know me, an honest, simple guy. I just want good for my people. So back me up, right? Fight hard today and the heavens will reward you. Also, if you don't, <laughs> I'll murder you and your family. Oh, okay. And and so there's there's a few of those in the book. So it is worth reading. It's kind of a treat. But right. 
I, I ended up kind of straying from my notion of doing doing Confucius to land on Voltaire's Candide, which is something I read in college, remembered I, I enjoyed, but thought, hey, I should probably come back to it. Can I just... Pre- I, Graham and I drove over here together, and so I was asking him what he remembered about Candide, and so he also remembered reading it back in college. Graham, what was your response on how you remember feeling about this book? I didn't like it. Okay, great. <laughs> so I'm glad you both <laughs> No, I mean, um, it's... I don't, I'm just telling Voltaire. Okay. Like in general? He wrote a lot of stuff. He did write a lot of stuff. I mean, he's very clever. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so I read... I, I also remember liking this book. He's very witty, right? Yes. Yeah, he's, oh, he's really witty. I was going to read just Candide and go for it, but I found out that Candide is a book written in conversation with several philosophical right. ideas at the time. Right. And I had, back when I read it in college, probably very limited understanding of the arguments at play right. when reading Candide. I was like, ah, this poor unfortunate guy. He's had a real rough go of things. And that was as much as I knew about Candide. I'm not going, so typically when I do a book, I give you the full story and then I give some sort of evaluation of what it's saying. I probably won't do that this time. I'm going to give you the theory that this book is in conversation with, right? So that's Leibniz's theory of the best of all possible worlds. So we're going to discuss that, some of the complications, what he exactly he was trying to answer, what he put, why he put this idea forward. And then I will give you a little bit of Candide. Uh, I don't want to give you the whole story because it's only 90 pages. It, I read it all last night, wow. right? Yeah. And then did some research on it and did some looking you, around. Did you still enjoy it? Was it still a good I, read? Yeah, I had a great time. And yeah. I think that there's some genius in there with the way that the, the, book, the, the book is set up to answer or kind of bring criticism to Leibniz's theory of the best, possible, best of all possible worlds. And it's, it is a hilarious read. It's really funny. It's about... Uh, well, I'll, I'll get to it. So okay. let's let's start with Leibniz. So Leibniz was born in 1646. He lived until 1716, so I think around 70 years old. The dude that everyone also says invented calculus. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was one good. of his big accomplishments was yeah. inventing calculus. Now, did he invent it uh, um, like independently from Newton? Like they sort of came up with it together? This I know less about. So I didn't, again, most of this focus is on this particular theory he puts forward and less about the story of the man himself. I do know he was a polymath and mathematician. He helped develop the binary number system, which now is the foundation for almost all computing. Uh, He helped invent some calculators. He actually invented the first mass-produced mechanical calculator, and he helped invent differential and integral calculus, Mm -hmm. right? So he is, he's not screwing around. This guy's a really smart fella. And he, he was a theist. And so for our atheistic listeners, this is a sort of an internal battle within Christianity, but you might find it interesting, especially if you are an atheist. And especially if this is the reason why you are an atheist, then you might find it interesting. If not, it's still some fun philosophy and certainly important to the history of the enlightenment and the progression of ideas throughout the enlightenment period. Um, so as of, when, as, of, as of the time that Leibniz was writing, there was really no atheistic notion of the problem of evil. So do you guys know what the problem of evil is? Can you, can you express the basic problem as it, is, as it is called the problem of evil? If God is all good and evil exists, if God's all good, all powerful and all knowing, and evil exists, then either God, is allow, God either can't stop evil, so he's not all powerful, or he's not all good, he's kind of a jerk, Right. Or, um, or he's not all-knowing, and like people are getting away with it, and he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> he uh, couldn't predict what would he happen. He couldn't predict right. what was happening. And so the, the idea being like, so if, 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 if we want to postulate that God is all of those things, then why then do we have evil in this yes. world? Yes. That's so, sort of in a nutshell, though. Yeah. If God is all-powerful, then he could create the best, the, a world without evil. Mm-hmm. If he is all-good, then he would clearly want to create a world without, 
without evil. Mm-hmm. And if he, if he is all-knowing, then he should have the know-how, right? He should know that, like, the world that he created was going to go the way it was going to go. Exactly. Yeah. And clearly, there is evil. Mm-hmm. And so most people, or I, a lot of people would point to, okay, well, obviously, the premise that God is all-powerful, all-good, and all-knowing must be faulty, Right. Um, there are some that point to the premise that God would want to create a world without evil as the faulty one, right? Clearly, if he is all-powerful, all-good, and all-knowing, maybe he wanted a world with evil for specific reasons, right? So maybe he has his own divine purposes that we don't quite know, and maybe that is the faulty premise rather than God himself being the issue. So again, Leibniz didn't really have to answer the atheistic problem of evil. And that is basically saying, since this world has evil, God doesn't exist. God cannot exist, yeah. right? That is maybe a leap that the people of the time weren't willing to make. The, the, the charges that he was answering were twofold. One is called the underachiever problem. Okay. And this is the one put forward by the Socinians. So the Socinians believed that because because this is an evil world, it shows that God either isn't all-powerful or he isn't all-knowing, right? right? Because if he was all-powerful and all-knowing, then he would have created a, a perfect world. A perfect world right. And clearly, he underachieved, right? <laughs> like, oh, so God is the underachiever? God is in the that? underachiever yeah, like in that. the underachiever okay, problem. Funny. Yeah, okay. Right? So there's the underachiever problem, and then there's the holiness problem. And the holiness problem depends on an understanding of God as first cause. Okay. So... Thinkers of the time maintained that God was involved in his creation as a cause in three ways. You guys with me so far? Mm -hmm. I know we're hitting some philosophy here. Okay, so we got the underachiever problem and we've got the holiness problem. So now we're working with the holiness problem. So God is the creative cause, meaning he created the world, right? He's the guy that's, he set off the whole bang, right? So deists would say, this is about the only way that he is involved, Yes. right? He set off the whole show and he's like, well, hands off. Enjoy boys. And then he sort of flitted off to go do something else. So that's, that's deism. That's the infamous watchmaker. Yeah. Yeah. The watch, the clockmaker. He winds it up, hits play and pieces out. And then hands off. So miracles, deists don't believe in miracles. There's no further, you know, involvement in the creation. Okay. So that's creative cause. There's also conserving cause, meaning that the moment God stops willing us to exist, we will blip out of existence. Okay. So he conserves his creation through a continuous involvement of his will, right? He wants us to keep existing, right? Because if he didn't, then... We would be gone. Right? That, if, okay. if, for, if in the next moment, all of a sudden, our existence was against his will, then being all-powerful, all-knowing, and on, you know, all of that stuff, right. he could blip us out of existence, and so right. we would. Um, we could never exist apart from his will, and therefore he is the conserving cause, okay? The last one is the concurrent cause, meaning that because, and and this one's kind of hard to understand. It comes from Thomas Aquinas. I actually have the quote here and I can read it um, and you guys can tell me what you think of it. My understanding is that as the concurrent cause, it means that because nothing can happen that is outside of God's will, he is involved willfully in every act that we do. When I lift up my book right here on the table and then I set it down, my podcast uh, watchers on YouTube can see, here's my book, there's my book, and I can lift it up and I can set it down. God was involved as a causal agent in that action, right? Yeah. Because it was within his will. He is involved. I see how that could create problems then with evil. Is that where this is going? So that's the big issue, is that... Wait, read the Augustine quote. So here's the Augustine quote. No, Aquinas. 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 It must be observed that one thing may be the cause of another's action in several ways. First, by giving it the power to act. Thus it is said that the generator moves heavy and light bodies inasmuch as it gives them the power from which that movement results. So that sounds like creative cause. 
In this way, God causes all the actions of nature, but he gave, because he gave natural thi- things the forces whereby they are able to act. Not only as the generator gives power to heavy and light bodies, yet does not preserve it, but also as upholding its very being. For as much as he is the cause of the power bestowed, not only like the generator in its becoming, but also in its being. So that sounds like conserving cause. This is all one sentence, by the way. Of course. course. (laughs) And thus God may be said to be the cause of an action by both causing and upholding the natural power in its being. For secondly, the preserver of a power is said to cause the action. Thus, thus a remedy that preserves the sight is said to make a man see. But since nothing moves or acts of itself unless it be an unmoved mover. Thirdly, a thing is said to cause another's action by moving it to act, whereby we do not mean that it causes or preserves the active power, but that it applies the power to action, even as a man causes the knife cutting by the very fact that he applies the sharpness of the knife to cutting by moving it to cut. So active pushing. Right. And since the lower nature in acting does not, ex- does not act except through being moved, because these lower bodies are both subject to and cause alteration, whereas the heavenly body causes alteration without being subject to it. And yet it does not cause movement unless it be itself moved, so that we must eventually trace its movement back to God. It follows of necessity that God causes the action of every natural thing by moving and applying its power to action. And so this is, that's the moment where he, we have concurrent the cause. Third. So right? the, and that, I think that's what the last sentence literally said, but the third one is of necessity true, that if God could will a thing to stop immediately after, and he's like this initial cause of everything, therefore he is complicit, he is willing of all things to happen. Me to wave my hands right now, you to move your book. Yes. Yep. He could have created something different. And, right. he could, and he could he could have stopped you moving that book if he wanted to. Yes, okay. he could have done all those things. Yes. and because he wills, I am I am a lower order of being, and I, if I have power to act, I only mo- apply that power if he has initially given me the power. So there's there's all kinds of levels of this, but right. essentially God is involved in every act. And so you saw the complications this gives for the problem of evil almost instantly. What's what's the complication? So it's not so God could have God can stop every evil act that is a well. Sorry, it's not even that he can't stop them. It's that he is involved in every evil act. If he is involved in causing all things to happen, he is complicit, right? Yes. If I but commit, it's for, but it's further than complicit. It, what, he is the that, cause of, that of evil, evil, evil. Is what that right? third point would say. Am I? I'm, I'm stating an argument. I'm not saying I agree with. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Am I so this it? is the yeah. argument: okay, is that you. God becomes therefore the cause, cause of, of evil, yes. and since he is the cause of evil, he cannot be holy. Right. Right? So these are the two charges that Leibniz is trying to answer. One, God is an underachiever and really didn't nail it with this whole world thing. That's the one the, the Socinians put forward. And two, is the complications brought up by the belief that God is the creative, conserving, and concurrent cause. And that is that if evil exists in the world, he is the cause of it. Right. So, and therefore is complicit and cannot be holy. Right. Is Magby complicit if his great grandchildren are mur- murderers? Only if he is all powerful and all knowing <laughs> and knew they would be murderers and therefore still had kids. See, you, when you when you bring in the fatherhood aspect, it is a it I'm is just a, fatherhood. But I'm just thinking about like, like it's like okay, is, is the car manufacturer complicit in the so in the, while the, the accident that kills somebody? While those analogies are helpful, they break down at the point where we talk about infinite power. Gotcha. So is the car manufacturer complicit in the as soon as the car like? 
you know, the airbag blows up and, you know, smashes a guy. Well, yes, if it, they had the power to stop, to it, stop it as it, he was right. driving. If it's a problem. Yes, if they created the car yes. knowing it would explode. Right. And yes, if they like continuously leave the cars exploding. Right. Right. They, they have the power to stop it. They can right. recall and they don't. Right. Are you asking that, Graham, because part of it was that aspect of generation? So like um, all things yeah, come from it's, God. It's, or it's more like, you know, the, as as many times removed, as, like when you sort of, um, the farther back you walk that chain, we are assuming that the causes are just, the, the causal relationships should be held as strongly as, like that it is as, that God's causation of AJ drinking his drink is right. as on the same sort of, intensity level or on the same level as AJ willing to pick up the can and drink it. I don't know. Right. It's like, shouldn't there be like a causation half-life every step you go <laughs> But back? I think what you're saying, I think one answer to the question is deism, to say that God isn't involved in every step along the way. Therefore, God's only involvement is creation. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then we're can, responsible yeah, for everything yeah. after that. I think this argument is saying, if God is still present and active, then he's present and active in evil actions. Evil actions. Thomas, you're more of the the widely read theologian among us. Do you know what Augustine's answer to God Aquinas, being complicit like in evil Aquinas. is? Just that it, he is not. I don't know the specific answer. Yeah. I like you keep saying Augustine. Um, I don't know the answer, and I would love to hear from AJ. It's Aquinas, sorry. I thought you'd be better known. Oh, it's Augustine. Aquinas? Yeah. Right. He, he was quoting Aquinas. <laughs> oh, Are you messing okay. with me right now? No, I'm serious. Oh, okay. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's Aquinas. Oh. Yeah. Right. I, I find Augustine... Or Augustine, Augustinus, Thank you. easier to, to easier to track than Aquinas. Aquinas, sure. you got to get on the whole like you got to get on the system. Like Aquinas has a like you he's know, got like a whole he's like, program. Fact, blah 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 blah. Rebuttal. Blah 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 well, blah. Well, it's the format of it because yes. it he opens with things he doesn't believe, yeah. and then he says what he believes, yeah. and then he gets more defense of what he believes. Yeah, that's in the Summa anyway. It's pretty fun. I'll, I'll look it up while you're talking, AJ. I don't know how Aquinas answers it. Okay, so Leibniz's answer, mm-hmm. right? This is how Leibniz talks about this. He is, says, God is... Is it calculus? Is that the answer? Calculus? <laughs> yeah. Math! Did someone say math? So there, there's a little... There's some arguments in here, but... So Leibniz's answer is that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. Therefore, nothing could prevent him from making the best of all possible worlds. Therefore... This is the best of all possible worlds. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Right? So he almost, as a premise, assumes what those other folks were trying to disprove, right? He's, his, one of his premises is that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good. Therefore, nothing can stop him, and then this must be the best. I, which Voltaire will tear apart over the course of Candide. I, I, I just don't think that answers the question because there is still evil present in the world. So it's, it's almost like sidestepping the question as opposed to actually answering it. Yes. So we're going to get deeper into it. Yeah. He does have to defend it against no, some Leibniz of... Leibniz saying, like, it could be way worse, maybe. Be thankful you got <laughs> this. Yeah. yeah. But the, it's not as bad as it could be is not the same as saying it's good. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, your life could be more miserable. Okay, thank you. That's really comforting. <laughs> okay, so there's another possible way to sidestep some of these problems. Uh-huh. And one is by claiming that there is no possible best world. But you just can't do it. So here, here's how the, okay. it works. If the world, the possible worlds are an infinite series, meaning that you can always find one that is better, then God cannot create the best possible world because it would be like trying to name the highest number. Infinity. You, it's not a number. It's not a number. Yeah. You simply cannot do it. So at some point you just have to say, okay, this number is high enough. Yeah. And God's just got to be like, all right, well, print it. Ship it. Sure. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's close enough. So, yeah. like, all right, we're far enough along the scale. This is a reasonably moral world. 
let's go, boys. And he just clicks, he flips on the light yeah. switch, and here we are. Yeah. So it's the uh, the argument from an infinite series, yeah. right? I think Leibniz like, hated this, yeah, of this course. one. Yeah, sure. Partially because there are problems with it. My students have that same philosophy about essays. They're like, ah, it's not, you know. It's I, I could get make it better, but ship it. It's, it's good, good enough. enough. <laughs> but they're right. Like, at a certain point, you got 100. You don't need to go further. Um, all right, so... Leibniz rejected this argument because because of the principle of sufficient reason. Do you guys are you guys familiar with the principle of sufficient reason? I am not. Nope. So in philosophy, there is this notion that everything that exists must have a sufficient reason for being this way and not another way. another way. Okay. Right. So you are sitting in this chair as yourself. Yep. Because of many things. Right. Because of recording a podcast. Is yeah. That- you you. Yeah, you had a good time hanging out with us mm-hmm. and thought you might like to do it more, hopefully. Oh, yeah. And so you got to, or <laughs> you wanted to get for, rich. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, there it is, yeah. One of the two. The Patreon.com slash classical yeah. stuff. Yeah. The Congressional yeah. Foreigner Medal of Fun. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. um, and so, and also that, and you can trace it back to your parents and you can trace uh-huh. where your parents uh-huh. have come from. And so there are plenty of sufficient reasons uh-huh. for you to end up in this chair, Okay. right? I am wearing this sweatshirt because at the moment that I was about to take a shower this morning, I realized that all of my podcast notes had been deleted. <laughs> sure. And so I had to rewrite all of my podcast notes. And so I am still wearing the sweatshirt that I was wearing This is a true yesterday. story. This actually happened. Right? This yeah. actually happened. Yeah. And so there is my principle of sufficient reason for, there's my sufficient reason for why I'm sitting here in this chair. Okay. Right? So that's the principle of sufficient reason. Okay. So what possible sufficient reason could God have had for choosing the random one of an infinite series? I don't, under, I don't even know how to answer that question. So that, that's the thing is Leibniz says, what is his reason for picking this one? Why not another one? A, a different right. one, right? In any, in any of the infinite series, what could possibly be his reason? Well, don't most people, I think the, the, the normal answer is that God is doing something so good that it, like, it happens to pass through a moment of evil. So think of you know, illness or death in the family or something like that, but that then leads to some better thing. So God is using that bad thing for a later good thing. Okay, so even so... Can that answer the question? Not really, because yes, that might work for a small thing, but not for a whole world. Why this world rather than a different world, right? Uh, Especially if there's a one of greater goodness further up the chain. Why this one? And some say maybe he arbitrarily chose it, but that goes against the sufficient reason. What reason could he have had for choosing this one, right? right? Because the principle of sufficient reason applies to free choice sure. just as it applies to anything else, right? God must have had a reason. And Leibniz said, you don't, you don't have a sufficient one. And they, so they gave back two for, for maybe. Okay. So like maybe there was a quality in this world that made it more good than the other ones. Okay. So Maybe he, number one, just arbitrarily selected it. He's like, this one has nice oak trees. There you go. There we go. Print, print that one. I like the one with the oak trees. This is the one. This is the world I'm choosing of the great continuum. Well, then you have a problem because if it's arbitrarily selected, either it also does not have a sufficient reason just because it's arbitrarily like picked like a grape from a tree, right. like no reason, or because tree, that tree feature made it better than all other yeah. worlds, in this case, the oak trees, mm-hmm. in which case there is no infinite series. This is better. Only, so it yeah. goes, goes against the premise, right? So in... This feels like gotcha reasoning. Yeah, sure. Or angels dancing on the head of a pen. No, like, no, it doesn't... Oh. It just sort of feels like he's um, like evading, evading the real issue at hand. 
which is evil. Which is like, there's evil. Yeah. Okay, no, like, well, oh, that's what really? they are trying to evade. He's not... saying, like, look, you can't escape the issue yeah. by saying there's a continuum of worlds. This isn't Leibniz. This is the yeah. other people. Right, the other people are trying to dodge oh, gotcha. the the notion that this world has to be a good one by oh. saying, like, it's a fine one. Okay. There are plenty in either direction. Sure. He could keep on going for choosing better worlds forever, but at some point he has to pick one, right? So it's dodging the issue. Leibniz is saying you can't dodge the oh. issue because there's no reason to choose this world over any of the other possible ones unless you have to point to something arbitrary, arbitrary, like an arbitrary choice he made about a world, in which case there is no infinite series. There's one that's better than others. Does that make sense? That arbitrary decision isn't actually arbitrary. It actually makes it better. So it can't be arbitrary because then there's no no reason for it. And if it's not arbitrary, then it can't be an infinite series. So he's saying you have to deal. Why is no reason and an arbitrary decision not not possible? Because because even with God, even with God's free choice, there mm-hmm. has to be some reason why he picked it. Why? Because every everything has a sufficient reason. Otherwise, it's reasonless. Okay. So, but, and you're saying that's not an answer to the question? So randomness could be just an answer to the question. No, but he would not accept randomness because, because there's, no there's no sufficient, sufficient reason for it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, there's no principle of sufficient reason. Yeah. Okay. Every choice, and, and that kind of tracks with even how theists now talk about God, sure. right? God does things for a reason, not because he's out there sowing chaos. Being arbitrary, yeah. I guess, Graham, if you follow the next question, you could say, why does there have to be a sufficient cause? I, but We don't need to go down that road, but exactly. I, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I take it. I think right? I take the you guys point. with me? Yes. So, I mean, but I, I actually like this because Leibniz isn't willing to just dodge the issue. Sure. He's like, we have to actually deal with sin in the world and talk about this problem, right. right? This is this is a real problem. We can't just say, like, it's an infinite series and then skitter off into the sunset, sure. right? It's not a problem we can dodge. All right, you guys still with me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, I find this all wildly interesting. I hope you yeah, guys... Of course it is. I yeah. hope you guys do. For sure. Okay. So, one could claim... Let's see. Um, one could claim that this doesn't really solve anything, that claiming that this is the best world doesn't solve anything, right? So, him saying, like, my answer to the problem of evil is yes. that... This is the best world. And everyone's like, yeah, but that doesn't really fix it. You've basically just set down a new argument for us. If God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, then this is the best possible world. Premise number two, this is clearly not the best possible of all worlds. That's funny. Right? Therefore, God cannot be all-powerful, all-knowing, right? So basically, Leibniz just pushed it down the road a step. Right. Right? So they said, the world has evil, therefore God can't be good. And he's like, God is good, therefore this is the best world. And they're like, yes, but this is clearly not the best world, sure. so God screwed it up, right? Or, yeah. So that's kind of where we're left. Or at least it's not perfect, right? But or at least it's not perfect, right? right? Sure. So this isn't, the, this isn't the most perfect world, Leibniz. Right. I don't know what you're talking about over there, bud. Yeah. And so his response is that, look, I know premise number one is true. I see overwhelming evidence that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good. So he takes issue with the second premise that they say it's surely not the best possible world. Okay. So he sets out to prove that, yes, it is, is the best. Okay. Right? Okay. You guys still with me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to hear how he answers it. Okay. Because it, on its face, it sounds like a crazy claim, right? To say this is the best of all possible worlds. Yes. I'm not that smart, and I could think of some things that could be better, right? Okay. Uh, do you Let's have an do example? It. Let's hear it. What could be better? No, I'm just what, saying, like, the, what's one small? This is great because I was actually going to give an example of something that could be changed to make the world better. Wait, that's like, actually moving into my next thing. So, but uh, not even to be specific, but just like the existence of like war and violence. If there were no war and violence, this world would be better than otherwise. Okay. Can you pick? Uh, can you pick like one specific instance where war and vi- like war no, and violence, I, could be removed and make the world a better place? I don't like. Uh, 
uh, I don't how specific am I supposed to be? Because I'm thinking like, you know, there's the there's, example that. So a lot of this information is coming from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, uh, which, by the way, for any listeners is a fantastic resource. It's so good. And I've talked to philosophy professors just to check and make sure like, hey, is this reliable? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. So it's a great place. You can go check it out. You can even read the article I read on Leibniz's Best of All Possible Worlds. And it even involves Candide a little bit. Right. So their example is the Oklahoma City bombing of the sure. federal yeah. building. Great. Right. Yeah. Sure. Totally senseless violence. Right. Nobody wins. Right. Right. Surely the world, surely the world would be a better place without that, without the Oklahoma City federal building bombing. Right. right? So he says... I don't really want you to argue for the goodness of it. You're making me nervous right now. <laughs> um, all right, so hold on. I gotta get back in my notes. Um, it was pretty crazy. Like, have you ever, like, gone in and read ab- about no, it? When no. was it? 1989, What do you remember about it? What do you... I just... I mean, I, I remember not knowing where Oklahoma was because okay. I was a kid. 1995, April yeah. 1995. So I would have been... I was six years. I was 12. Yeah, I was six years old, so I was not aware of it. Yeah. That would have been, if you were 12, I was like 10. What was it? Timothy McVeigh, he didn't like technology. He didn't, he thought America was technology. Was he a Unabomber? No, that's Unabomber. That's That's Unabomber. That's Ted Kaczynski. Yeah. He was, oh, he didn't like Waco, right? He thought that uh, what happened in Waco was a big, was, was a federal overreach. Time is attacked to coincide with the second anniversary of the fire that ended the siege at the Branch Davidian compound in Waco. Yeah. Mm. Bonkers. Anyway, sorry, we're getting off track. That's yeah. fine. Um, okay, so Leibniz says, no. The, the world you, would not be better without. So first, you Oof. don't know, you don't fully understand the interconnectedness of all things. A world without the Oklahoma City bombing might have, like if you pluck that single event out of the world, what might change? You have no idea. Eh. I don't like the, I don't, I don't like the argument. I do think that's the same one as before that I referenced of we don't know... God is working all things for good. Therefore, we don't know how the death of a loved one, the the sickness that someone gets, long-term illnesses, we don't know how that fits in the story. Okay, so maybe a dissatisfying argument, though. It is dissatisfying, okay. at least. Because um, it, it feels like it cheapens. Like When do death. we argue free will in, in man? That people just pick these things, therefore that, God's that, not That, that the possible. best possible universe was one where human beings were given free will, and it's our fault. But him in willing free will wills, like if he is concurrent cause... I don't, yeah, that's, that's, that's the argument I don't think I buy. So hold on. We'll, we'll get yeah. there. Okay. That comes in the holiness. So his second response is, look, you are assuming you know the criteria by which God evaluates the best possible exactly. world. Yeah, sure. What's, what's the criteria yeah, for I mean, best possible? It would be hard to write down. But again, to say that it's better to not have violence than to have violence seems like a, or phrased differently, in heaven, uh, will there be violence? No. Right, the lion lays down with the lamb. We have this picture of there's like no more conflict. So okay, but what might be lost there? And so he he has three possible criteria. Is is like scholars sure. around this talk about three possible criteria by which you can judge the best of all possible worlds. Okay, he seems to like number two and three, but here they are. Uh, number u- one, unicorns, uh, parties, uh, <laughs> unicorns, parties, and Twitter. <laughs> um, no, Twitter is not. <laughs> so. No, no. Possible criteria number one, and I would say that this is the one that most people assume is how you evaluate the best best of all possible worlds. Number one, the world creates the most happiness for rational beings. Ooh, <laughs> wow. Okay. What does that mean? So it's not happiness for people who like bad things. It's happiness for people who like good things. Is that what he means? Well, he by just rational? says like that. That when you, when I talk about the best of all possible worlds, and this is what Candide would assume huh. too. It means it's one that makes people happy. I'm on board for it. Okay. So that's, that's what most people would say is the how you evaluate a good world. Oh. 
I think that seems limited. Sure. Right? That seems like it was that God's real goal in making his world was to make the people in it as happy at all times as possible. Yeah, he wanted to satisfy people. Yeah. To okay. glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. All right. So to glorify God is a different thing. Does it bring him glory when we are absolutely blissed out of our minds all the time? Okay, so this is where if we get complicated. So sure. number two is, and this is the, the wording is strange, but I'll explain it. So it is the world that maximizes the quantity of essence. What's essence? Okay, so quantity of essence, uh-huh. and I don't know why they phrased it this Sounds way. Sounds like a cologne commercial. <laughs> <laughs> quantity of essence. Maximize the quantity of essence. <laughs> That's a guy swimming and he's got like... By Kelvin Klein. Water beating on his biceps. Um, those people always look so serious in those <laughs> commercials. Always, Nobody's yeah. ever having fun. They are right? not. No, of okay. course not. It's all very serious. Yeah. So the quantity of essence is basically reflection of God. So if God wants uh, his hu- creations yes. to know him, if that's the best thing for them, well, he knows that created beings can only do a, you know, a sort of good job of reflecting him. So he has to create a grand variety of beings, right, to reflect him in his creation as best he can. Right. So quantity of essence essentially means we reflect God the most, right? This is the world that lets us know him more than any other world, right? Okay. That is the quantity of essence, right? Um, I've, I've heard this called essentially the candlelight theodicy. A theodicy is an argument against the problem of evil. The problem, problem of evil. evil. And one of them is... It illuminates parts of God that we otherwise wouldn't know. There are things that, that evil do, evil does. Evil does. So we hey, would, you you always give me the, the shaky head thing. It, this is actually a pretty we, good argument. We wouldn't know that God is just if there weren't evil actors that like, receive yes, justice. Justice is unknown without injustice. Mercy is unknown without transgression. Uh, sacrifice is unknown unless there's a reason to sacrifice. Right? Yeah. If we were just hanging out in the garden, there's no reason for or God per- to send Jesus. Persistence of like having to stick with something we wouldn't know if everything was easy and came straight to Persistence, us. Persistence, mercy, yeah. grace, yeah, justice. Yeah. I feel like I trade knowing those things to have for all the other. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay, and that is perhaps a rebuttal. Yeah. I had a I had a friend say the same thing about free will. He's like, I would gladly give away my free will if it meant I knew I was going to heaven and could know God directly. Right. So it may not be a perfect theodicy, no, but I this not, that that wasn't what I was saying. Um, not it's not. I wouldn't. The giving up of free will. It's that. No, no, um, I, it was an analogy. You would gotcha. give up. No, I'm just saying, like, I would, I'd be perfectly cool not knowing what in, what justice was if there was nothing unjust. But God wouldn't. He wants you to know him as as thoroughly as possible. You would know about mm. half of him. Yeah. You okay. wouldn't know all of his good qualities. You'd know his creative aspect and but his loving if God aspect. God is, is infinite, it seems sort of strange that he would allow a world evil to exist so that I could know a little bit more of him but I'm never going to know all of him. So why is it good to know God on the backdrop of evil? Right? Like, why do I... So you are grounding this in an infinite argument. Well, I mean... His love I, is infinite, and we since we can no, never no, know all saying, of like, it, if, therefore... If, if it's it's to maximize the... What was it? Maximize the... Quantity, quantity of essence. Quantity of essence. Oh, oh. It's like, all right, well, if we need to maximize... The only way to maximize the quantity of essence is like... Just shovel a whole pile of garbage on you so that you can uh, know how great it is to be ungarbaged. Like, that seems sadistic. Yeah, this gets into Brothers Karamazov stuff. Exactly. So this feels very much like, if listener, if you're new, Mm -hmm. there's a great podcast that has also to do with this. Also by us. Also, oh yeah. It's an episode (laughs) that, uh, that, (laughs) I mean, we did it. But but you can go check it out. It's The Grand Inquisitor. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's the greatest of all podcasts. Possible uh, podcasts. I said that. I would say it's the greatest episode. It just also happens to be the one that uh, I led. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So 
episode 41, in case you're looking for that. That's a very long time ago. It's a long time ago. And we actually ended up arguing for like an hour after recording the podcast about the stuff in that podcast. So I don't think there's been another one that we've had as long discussions about. Probably not. Anyway, go check that one out. It's pretty good. There you go. Um, so that's kind of the same thing, right? So if God wants us to know him... Sorry, can I finish the... I, I, all I said was the word Grand Inquisitor. In that the Grand Inquisitor is saying that there's an amount of human suffering that essentially God is willing to trade off for our knowledge of mm-hmm. him. So yes, there's... You know, a, you know, there are a couple thousand people that will know more about God, but there are thousands of people who will also be killed. And that kind of trade-off makes God sound sadistic, just to connect to what Graham was saying before. That's all. Yes, and, and this is kind of the same argument of Candide, yes. right? That the world, who oh boy, that trade got, is a dear one. Yes, right? exactly. We are, we are trading some pretty serious stuff in order for that knowledge yes. or whatever the grand design is. Yes. Okay, criteria number three, and this is the one that I think is maybe even a little silly, is... It is the the best world is one that provides the greatest variety of phenomena governed by the simplest set of laws. Oh, okay. <laughs> what a strange one. Oh, that is interesting. Can you say more about what yeah, that yeah. means? It means... It's like a, like a, a elegant argument, right? Yes. Yeah, it's, it is a, a beautiful creation. And then it has all kinds of different things going on. We got all sorts of birds. Uh-huh. We got all ca- kinds of bugs. We got some animals. We got uh, different types of weather. But he's probably also referencing math, right? Like there's an elegance to the way that these like natural systems work oh, together. Oh, probably. I never put that together, but yeah. you're probably right, right? Math is, and it's all, all very simple, straightforward set of laws that yeah. governs all of this. Like physics, you can get your head around that. Yes. We teach it to high school kids. Right. And so there you go. It governs the world. How beautiful, right? right? He tends to lean towards two and three, Yeah. Sure. right? Leibniz does. Right. Most everyone else, the Wait, people that... How po- does three get them out of evil? Or how does it three mean that this is the best possible world? Because it provides elegance. a grand amount of phenomena, simple simple set of rules. Mm, okay. So I, I don't think that that... I don't, I don't feel like that's a good dodge because God has created a world without sin. I mean, supposedly. Right? God has created a world without sin in that in he created Eden, mm. had a grand set of phenomena, mm-hmm. very small set of laws. That was the same world as the one we now have. And it's promised... Right. To, to like redeem it at the end and basically create a new heavens and a new earth. And so I assume by a similar set of laws and we'll also have a great variety of phenomena. And so that one doesn't necessarily dodge the problem, in my opinion. Sure. The second one, maybe, right? That if God wants us to know him, there has to be some sort of allowance for mercy and truth. Like, you know, all of these things that we wouldn't know about God otherwise, um, that like the presence of heaven and Eden don't negate that argument, mm-hmm. right? At some point, you still have to have the evidence of sin. Um, but does and, he ever talk about a pre-lapsarian and post-lapsarian reality and that the fall, like, does he does he sort of um, hold up the story as holding, as like an explanation? What do you mean? Well, that, that, that there has been, that God at one point created a universe where there was no sin and then sin happened with a transgression with, people with free will saying like I choose my way as opposed to your way and then we've and then that had a break like does I don't, he, does I he think care he, about I think he, I'm I'm unsure yeah. right I haven't read all of his writings but I am assuming that he involves that part of the story in this the best of all possible worlds right a best the best of all possible worlds is one in which Adam and Eve have fallen yeah but yeah. at one but point it was made, had not. Well, at one point had not yeah right so okay. Because, Graham, are you wanting to say the best of all possible worlds was before the fall? Um, well, isn't there like a Felix Culpa argument in there somewhere? Um, I think what he... Yeah, we're going to get to Candide at some point. Um, Holy smokes. We were, we're already 40 minutes in? Yeah. yeah. 
Jeez um, Louise. I'm just having a great time not talking about Voltaire. Um, <laughs> so, no, <I'm> just <laughs> well, kidding. again, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell the whole story. No, no, of, no my, but my point, candy. I think, like, doesn't it come back to the, the greatest possible world is one where free will had to exist? And be, because for free will to, if you wanted a world wherein love meant something, you needed a world where there was, where agents had free will so that they could choose to love or choose to not love. And as soon as you create a world that's going to have free will, you open up the possibility of evil. Evil, And so that this is the greatest possible world, not because God is allowing evil, but because God is allowing love and is going to deal with the consequences of evil. That, that's the Christian position, right? I, I don't think so. What? That all Christians? I don't know. That seems like the, a big... that's, the, that's the free will theodicy, and it's one among many. many. Well, what's the, what, what else could it be? There's the candlelight we're, theodicy. We're doing this one right now. We're doing, yeah, we're doing, we're doing nuts, best of all possible worlds. Yeah, this is, is an argument. Another way of answering it. <laughs> the face you're making. Everyone needs to Free will is actually, a, it's part of the holiness problem. It's not, that's how's holiness problem. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Because, <laughs> because God is still impl- involved in every action that mankind is doing. That's yeah, the problem he is both, trying to answer. Both upholding and concurrent in every action that happens. Even, even with free when will. When he decided to create this world, having free will, that makes mm-hmm. him complicit. Or said differently, God, like you know, God could zap people immediately before they commit evil acts, even if then they're freely chosen. No, then they're not freely chosen. We'd figure it out eventually. I also personally don't believe we have free will. I, what? I believe oh we have the gosh. experience oh, of free will. Out. Oh my gosh! Uh, Wait, you you <laughs> scoff? You, you at least give me a shot, Donaldson. I, f- I freely scoffed. <laughs> no, you scoff because God willed that you feel like you freely <laughs> oh, scoffed. Um, you are simply a child in a small playpen that feels like it is free to throw sand about. This is, okay. Oh my gosh. So, um, well, I don't want to go there. Okay. That is a, that let's is an argument for another the, day. In, let's do it in the right. in between. So probably be the best place for that. So basically this is his answer is that you don't know the criteria by which God evaluates yes. the best of all possible worlds sure. and one that maximizes the quantity of essence and has a lot of phenomena governed by simple laws seem could be it. Yeah. So unless you can show me the, like the right criteria if you, unless, unless you can defend the claim that this is not the best po- of all possible worlds, can't get off the ground, right? Okay. If you say it's not the best, you have to k- tell me by what criteria we're judging it, okay. right? So that's kind of his answer, okay. right? And I think that this right here dodges both the Grand Inquisitor's claim and the claim of Candide, is that, yeah, you feel like this sucks, so you say it's not the greatest, but you are basing it on criteria number one. Yeah, you're not happy, but that maybe that doesn't matter in the best of all possible worlds. Right. Okay, so now let's talk about the holiness problem. So that's his solution, right? So the holiness problem is, well, God seems to be complicit in evil, right? Because he created if you, it. If you follow, like if you along, follow the yeah, logic, right, if you follow yeah. the logic of him being the three di- types of cause, the creative, the concurrent, and the, uh, the upholding, what yeah. was it, three? Um, I've got lots of lists of one, two, and three. Creative, conserving, and concurrent. Concurrent. Then then he must be culpable. So there are several answers to this. And I think the most common is that, and this is the one um, upheld by Augustinus, Augustine, is that evil isn't a thing. He didn't create evil because evil doesn't exist. It is a lack or privation, right? It's not here. It's like when I make a donut, Mm -hmm. would you say that I created the hole in the donut? There is no hole. There is no hole. Okay. Right? It doesn't exist. It's not a real thing. We have a name for it, but that is a void in uh-huh. the donut. I created the cake. Uh-huh. I made the cake into a circle, and lo and behold, there's a hole in it that doesn't exist. I cannot be held culpable for the hole. 
I've never understood this argument, and I know you did an episode on it because like people get murdered. Like, what is that? It is not a thing, maybe. So, <laughs> so Augustine would have said that is that is a disharmony in the world and otherwise good things, right? The knife is good. You having the strength to wield the knife—that's a good, good thing, but right? The that our not. bodies typically work without the intrusion of a knife is also a good thing. That a knife cuts well—that is the virtue of the knife. But it, I just don't understand what's meant by it doesn't exist because, like, there are murders, so therefore, murder exists. Well, murder exists, but that is a disharmony. That's what you I are. Know, yes. Okay, so that's actually. <laughs> That's what Leibniz says too. He's really? like, "Y'all be crazy, okay, right?" God, God is the author of all things, yeah. and so his analogy, or the analogy they use on this encyclopedia, is okay. I think it's actually Leibniz's analogy. Okay. So say I create a huge painting. Okay. Right? It's a painting of a duck. Okay. I added the duck part. Okay. So say I make this big painting of a duck, and I'm like, you know what? I would also like a smaller version to sell because okay. I can't. It's a huge painting a of a duck, okay. and can't go in everybody's living room. Sure. So I paint a smaller version. Yes. So they're the same painting. One has a lack. Yeah, right? smaller, you mean? It's smaller. Yeah. I, I, there is something void there. Well, I created that. I'm the author of both. What's actually in the picture and the lack of what's in the picture, I've made it smaller, and yep. so I am. I get to be the author of both. He's like, right. that's a hogwash argument. You can't say it doesn't exist. It exists. Right. That's stupid. Um, so I'm not, saying he, it's, I'm not saying it's stupid. I'm saying I, I, I don't understand it. I think it's on me. But he's got the same feelings okay, you do, good, right? That I, I need to read Even more. if I create the donut, yeah. I put it in a circle. And you made the I hole. knew there was yeah. going to be a holder, sure. right? right? Yeah. Could I have made... Uh, like a cracker? That, yes. You yeah, could. I could have made a cracker. You could have right? made a bun. A could, and then it wouldn't have had a hole. A bun, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, Donaldson. That's all right. Swooping into the rescue. I appreciate yeah. that. All right, so a bun. I could have made a bun, yeah. right? Or a roll. Mm. That's it. A oh, bun. Even better. Because a bun's yeah. half. No, I get it. Cut those yeah. in half, right? Yeah. Okay, so. Mm, no, too far. No, too far. So he is the author of the lack, just as he's the author of the real. Yeah. Right? So he says, God might permit evil if it brings about a greater good than may not otherwise be achieved. Right, as God does, as God goes about doing His duty, and this is I Graham's argument. Graham, I think that's Graham's argument. Right, yeah. is that God might allow evil if it is part and parcel to some other great good He has in mind. In this case, yeah, your case, free will. Yeah, that's Milton's. That's Milton's justify the ways of God to man argument of Paradise Lost. Yes. So that's that is this part of the argument okay. is that. Like, look, if he is going to create the best of all worlds, sometimes evil might have to be a part of that by necessity. It might be a necessity for free will, or in Leibniz's no, as view... A, as a potential. I don't know about a necessity. A, the potential... could the, evil. The potential. Yes, well, the then, potential for evil. Well, then my next reply yeah. would be, why didn't he create a world in such that people would not choose? He made angels. Then they then didn't have to. Yes, you know, angels were sufficient to stand, though free to fall, according to Milton, at least. They could fall. In fact, he, they he could fall. have just they made fall, one right. where there was a potential for evil, but no tree in the garden. Um, but then you don't have the choice, and then you don't have the free will to choose to obey God and love him. Okay, so your position is free will. That's fine. Yeah. There's also the God wants people to know him. This is the candlelight theodicy, and sure. knowing him involves a little bit of evil so we can know more about God. Makes Graham uncomfortable. You're he so shakes funny. his head. <laughs> but uh, It's just funny. But so See, he, Seeing Graham react is what's funny, just to be clear. Yeah, so he actually has a very specific version of this argument. So P, or God, uh -huh. so we'll, we'll call it G, just that to avoid confusion. Yeah. So G permits... E, or evil, okay. if, and here's the argument, so number one, G fails to will that E, so he's not saying there should be evil, he also fails to will that there should not be E, uh -huh. so he's not taking a stance on evil either way, he brings about a state of affairs S, or let's, let's just say W for the, for the fact of world, world. so okay. he brings about the, the state of affairs world by willing that world exists, right? Uh -huh. Another premise, if world exists, then evil exists. G knows that premise. Right, That's yes. premise number five. Sure. And then 
still, the final premise is G believes that it is G's duty to will W, the world, and the good of performing one's duty outweighs the evil entailed by E, by, yeah. right? So he's not saying yes, evil. He's not saying no, evil. He's saying world, and world brings evil, sure. right? That's if also that's sort right of a world. subset of the, of the free will argument, too. Well, this is, this yeah. is just an informal form, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? This is the, the free will argument. Is this Leibniz's argument, or is this just... This is Leibniz's okay. argument, Got it. right? Okay. So he, he wills it. Okay. Now, this dodges the creative faculty. It does not dodge concurrence. Okay. If God is complicit in every action that humans make, he is therefore complicit directly in, yeah. complicit with evil. Well, right? Why, though? I mean, you're not directly... How are you directly complicit if you are, like, allowing the system... The, the car manufacturer could recall the cars. But God, so you're saying God could remove all sin from the world? Yes. Yes. And what do we call Easter? Uh, okay, so this is actually partially my own position, is that at the same, if, if God is truly timeless, then at the moment he was allowing evil into the world... He was dying on the he cross. He was dying on the cross right. to solve it. Yeah. Right? He's solving the problem the very moment it comes into existence, at least as far as God is concerned. Right? Yeah. That's always been my position. Yeah. And, and yes, it, and gives, it gives the illusion of free will... Which I will call it an illusion. It's an illusion. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh no, 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 no. And and it has the added benefit of 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 the reflection, right? The the yeah. increased what is it? The greatest essence. Essence. Oh, uh, yeah. Friendship ended. Thomas's new best maximizing friend. Maximizing essence. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I don't. Okay. So yeah. his his way of getting out of the concurrence. I just want to go over this really fast. Yeah. That's one. His way of getting out of the concurrence, and then I'll give you a quick preview of Candy, which okay. is super fun. Okay. Um, is basically saying separating will with from intelligence, and I think Graham, you'll enjoy this one. Um, and saying that God is the sufficient reason to give the intelligence like enough room to do good, right? He is okay. saying, like, here's the thing, you should want to do good. Here it is. The agreement of a man's will with his real intelligence is a truth separate from God's willing it, right? Yeah. So whether or not my will actually kind of agrees with right. what my what the world should be telling me, like mm -hmm. don't do the don't do the murders. Right. Sure. Um, he is separate from that. Okay. So there is a will separate. So this is kind of how he. That's my understanding of how he dodges it. Right. I'm not sure I like the dodge. I don't think it's enough to separate the two and say like like uh, it's just squeeze. This is the one thing that isn't under his will, and therefore we kind of dodge it. That seems insufficient to me. But that's where we stop. Um, because that's his position. That's Leibniz's position, and he leaves it right there. As so, far as I understand it, it, yes. God abdicating isn't it almost like God is giving up? Well, if you believe power, it, but even in the giving up of power, shoot. he is still complicit. But that's if the, I see you about to shoot somebody and yeah. I say, "Up, oh, hands off, go ahead, pull that trigger," you've allowed it. It's the trolley problem. Right? No, no, yeah. no. Ah, let's let's talk about the trolley problem oh, for gosh. an hour again. Is, um, is I could stop no, it. I could God, jam the gun. God would also. I can stop to, the bullet. But God needs yes. to do that too for the good to happen, or else we're just robots, and our good doesn't mean anything. Well, that's what Leibniz just argued. That's, yeah, that is. And uh, well, so, yeah, so I, that's why, like, and that's the so. What, what's, good. Why so, don't, so why don't you like that that argument of saying like this is the one, like our will is the one thing that God doesn't mess with? So first of all, I I don't agree with totally autonomous human free will. I don't think we have it. I think we feel like we have free will, but we don't have it. I'm fascinated by that. Um, well, as an evidence, why, Thomas, why don't you turn into an, to an eagle for me right now? <laughs> All right, so your will is not completely free. Mm -hmm. There are bounds set upon your will. You cannot sure. turn into an eagle, okay. right? And you can so, in the metaverse, Thomas. I can. You can be an eagle. Give me a couple years, right? Yeah. I'll buy my eagle NFT, and then I can turn into that, right? 
All right, so so I, we can go it. into we're the free will argument. We have nine minutes left. I can't go too far into it. Oh, Whether or not we have free will is kind of beside the point. If okay. God is involved in every action that is taken, there has to be something that kind of gets him out of com, you know, being complicit in those actions. And Graham's position seems to be that it is necessary. So he's got to let that happen in order for free will to be okay. So he is yet complicit but it's like ends justify the means. That's that's how I understand the argument. I, I can I can derail this further if you want. No, <laughs> okay. uh, I have things to say. Maybe we'll save it for the for the after the after sure. show. Okay, so Candide, and this is a, a short overview, basically saying that you guys should totally go read it. It's again, it's a yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hoot of an afternoon. It's yeah. an easy read. It's yeah. not difficult like some of the books that we do on here. It's no um, Goethe's Faust, right? Mm-hmm. It's no Ulysses. Mm-hmm. It is an easy, happy like get yourself a martini or something, <laughs> and then just have a good time reading uh-huh. Candide because it's essentially the story of this young fellow named. Candide, a name that means pure, uh-huh. white, uh-huh. honest. Right? He's a good kid. Right. He grows up in a castle, and he loves this baron's daughter. And so he smooches the baron's daughter. Mm-hmm. And the baron finds out, gives him a swift kick in the rump, and sends him packing. Right. He joins the army, is whipped in the army, is almost court-martialed and killed, ends up seeing horrible warfare, escapes, goes to a new country, tries to beg, and has poop poured on his head for the trouble, eventually gets taken in by an honest Anabaptist. The Anabaptist, and then meets his old teacher, Mr. Pangloss. Now, Mr. Pangloss, a name that means all tongue or basically all talk, okay. um, he's the guy that puts forward the best of all possible worlds theory. He is an optimist. He right. says, look, Candide, you live in the best of all possible worlds. It's a beautiful place. Now, when he meets this guy for the second time, because he learned under him during, during his time at the castle, he has since had a horrible go of things, connect, contracted a venereal disease, and lost, I think, an ear and an eye and all of his health. Wow. And so it basically just continues on like this. He, he is separated from his baroness's daughter, and the story is mostly him trying to return to this wonderful young baroness that he loves and being foiled again and again and again and going through incredible misfortunes on the way. Right. Um, we're talking... There's an earthquake. He's caught by the Inquisition. He's whipped by the Inquisition. Pangloss is hung. Pangloss survives. Pangloss eventually ends up being a slave on a galley ship. Cunegonde, his beloved, after he leaves the castle, is attacked by one of the armies he actually fought for, is disemboweled and sold as a... sold into sexual slavery multiple times. And at the time he finds her again is actually being shared by two men that he kills. And then he's on the run for killing these men. And it just, it just, it is on and on and on and on on like this. Now, I wouldn't say that this is so much genius, right? It's a very, it seems like a one dimensional protest to the best of all possible worlds, basically saying like, this is it. This is the best possible one. And the thing is, is as you read it, you're gonna be like this, he's making half this stuff up. He's not, right? There's one part where someone has to cut off one of their, bum cheeks mm. to avoid slavery for this group of people. And that actually happened. Mm. So if you look this stuff up, if, if you get a version with footnotes, much of the stuff he is referencing would have been common knowledge to the people at the time and actually happened. Right. So it is, he is just basically painting the ills of the world and saying, this is, this is it. Right. And then right in the middle of it, Candide goes to El Dorado, right? Okay. Which is this supposedly mythical, beautiful place where diamonds and rubies and gold just lay on the ground. And it's, everyone is of one mind. Everyone believes in one deity because Voltaire thought the Trinity was ridiculous. And so he's like, obviously there's one God, not three or four. (laughs) And, and so they have this wonderful time there. And basically he paints a picture of El Dorado saying like, look, 
if you're saying this is the best one, I got a better one for you. Mm. Here's an example. Right. Here's an example of what life could look like right. in a better world that would obviously and clearly be better to everyone, right? I don't want to give away the ending. I think it is worth reading for our listeners, but this is his protest, right? You say it's the best possible one. I will show you the ills of this world and give you an idea for another. And that one, it's, it is... It is also the protest of the Grand Inquisitor, which is still a pretty compelling part of the brothers, the brothers Karamazov. And he's also pointing to actual events, right? Those are all the horrible things that are outlined in the Grand Inquisitor are like true news stories happening at the time. Right. So, and, yeah. and this is still one of the great protests of the problem of evil is, yeah. yes, even if free will is the thing we're getting, even if greater knowledge of God is the thing we are getting, man, we are paying for it dearly. And... Is that the place you want to end it? I think it is. Oh, that's mm, bleak. Bummer. Yeah, that's a bummer. Graham, you want to say something? Um, <laughs> free will's a thing. <laughs> free will's a thing. I think. I think um, we we undervalue good, uh, and well, how do I say this? No, by I, focusing I by right. focusing on the uh, on the terrible and saying like terrible, 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 terrible. Therefore, like there's better. If 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 we, if it does mean that the good needs to go away, like the, the argument with free will is that a universe with love is better than a universe without love. And, and true love has to be something where it is willed by both parties. It's contractual. That sounds cold to say, but I mean like, like both sides have entered into an agreement. And in fact, tell I think, that to the girls I liked in junior high. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the fact that both sides have entered into agreement, I mean, it makes, there's, this is I was gonna save it to the after show, but there's there's a there's a scene in the Old Testament where God and Abraham enter a blood pact about basically the world. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, and um, and uh, they enter this blood pact about about breaking the law. And if and um, um, I don't know, where, where I was going with this is yeah, is that I'm gonna save that for the end. Um, but uh, the. Uh, you got me thinking, AJ. Okay, so I will support Graham in saying that we do tend to remember and overvalue, overvalue the balance of evil versus good in this world, right? We remember the wars. We yeah. remember the bad times. We remember the great tragedies. But what we never put back onto the scale are the days when everything seemed to go just okay. Yeah. Like everything was all right. We had a decent breakfast. We had some nice coffee. We had a good conversation with a buddy, mm-hmm. right? Those days seem not to make it onto the scale. And then when the great tragedy happens because it sits so far forward in our minds, it overweighs the scale because we haven't been putting the good days onto it, right? This is something I think that happens pretty regularly, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. when Voltaire had to put his book together of all of the ills of the world, Candide has to travel. He has to go to Lisbon. He has to go to Paraguay. He has to go all over to to encounter all of these ills. And there's even a character in the book who's just like, you know what? I don't mess with politics. My life's all right. He's got nice daughters. He's got a nice little farm. He doesn't mess with anybody, and he's got a pretty good, pretty good thing going, right? Candide does not mention all of the days they've had that were so wonderful, right? And even in the book, even the introduction of El Dorado, he saw a mythical place where gold was literally all over the ground. Mm-hmm. So there, there is something to balance it. He's lived, lived a pretty crazy life, and he ends up wealthy as a troll, or at least he had the if he had kept better track of his money, he would have been wealthy as a troll. Sure. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I land is that we we do remember the evil more than the good. That's fair. All right. Any last comments? 
Thank, that was good. That was great. Thank you, AJ, for that topic. All right. So this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. We So after all of our episodes, we continue our conversation in in-between episodes that you can find on Patreon, patreon.com slash classical stuff. I just looked this up. We have like 65 episodes worth of in-between conversations. Do we really? So we, yeah, we've been doing this for about a year and a half now, which oh, is dang. just crazy. You have a year and a half of AMAs, which are Ask Me Anythings, where we answer our patrons' questions. And it's great. You should check it out. So patreon.com slash classical stuff. We're on Twitter at classical stuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. We, you can email us at theguys at classicalstuff.net. And I think that's probably everything. So thank you all for listening. We will talk with you again soon. Bye. Bye. Ciao.